Amen. We're in the middle of a series on Isaiah. Uh, if you don't know, Isaiah was the prophet uh, in Israel's past. He was called by God to speak a twofold message. You know, the first was a message of judgment against Israel's sin and her oppression and her wickedness. They were really not in good shape at all. Uh, and so God was, was going to send the people into exile because of what they'd done. But the second part of the message that Isaiah brought was a, was a promise of a hopeful future. It was the promise that God was not going to leave his people uh, entirely. He was going to restore them and bring them back. And Isaiah looked ahead to the day when Jesus himself would come, and he would arrive to atone for sin itself. He would undo the power of sin, and Jesus would bring God's life and salvation to the world. That's kind of the overview of Isaiah. Now, last week, before we get to chapter 7 here, last week we talked about chapter 6. And then chapter 6 ended with this kind of strange prophecy that Isaiah was giving to the people. And it had to do with the nation of Judah. This picture of Judah that because of her sin and her wickedness as a nation, she had once been like this beautiful tree, beautiful, gorgeous tree, this kind of picture of the nation. But because of her, her evil and her wickedness and her sin and the judgment that God was going to bring against that nation, instead of being a beautiful tree, she's going to be cut down and the stump was going to be burnt. And there's this metaphor describing the nation that this is not good. And you're going to be chopped down because of how you, how you faithlessly ignored God and other nations are going to come against you. But more specifically, the house of David, the king's house, was also this, this picture of this beautiful tree is not going to become this stuff. And yet, the, that's the best message of judgment, but that, that prophecy doesn't end with that picture. It, it ends with this picture of this tiny shoot, this holy seed coming out of the stuff. That even as God has brought his, his judgment, as like he's just in doing this, they're really not good. <laughs> he's, he's bringing what they deserve. Uh, but in that place, God is also going to bring some new sort of life out of the death, uh, out of the brokenness of the blackness of that stuff. So have that picture in the back of your mind. It's this promise that even when we as humanity folks, even when we are at our very worst, and I think it's not hard for us today to look around at our world and to think, man, we're not good shape either. Okay, like we're, we're not going to do that well. <laughs> you know, things are a bit of a mess out there. That even when things look really bad, when things are actually worse, God is at work upholding his promises and seeking a way to save us and to bring life and redemption into the places that are broken and dead and full of sin. That's what God wants to do. He wants to bring his, he wants to bring his resurrection life to bear on all the places in your heart and in your life that are dead and broken, just like that son. God wants to bring new life and healing to places in your in your heart, in your marriages, in your family, in your workplace that feel dead and broken. That's what he wants to do. So we get this, this, this picture of the stump and the shoot. Now let's let's have that in the back of your head and we're going to jump into chapter seven. There's a kind of a lot going on here. Let me kind of make it make it clearer for us. There's a lot of names kind of get thrown around. Well done, Audrey. Uh, it's a bit hard to follow. What you'll see here is you'll see the brokenness and the faithlessness of Judah as a nation. You'll see it embodied in King Ahaz. And you're going to see the message of that holy shoot, that holy seed, 
embodied in the promise of Emmanuel, who's going to come. So what's going on here? The setting, it's this confrontation between King Ahaz and God. It's kind of what's going on. Ahaz is Judah's current king, okay? He's the one on the throne, and he's being confronted by Isaiah. Isaiah is speaking on God's behalf. Now, Ahaz has just gotten word that his neighbors, Syria and Ephraim, are plotting a military alliance against the big bad Assyrian Empire over here. Big bad Assyrian Empire. Here it comes. So Syria and Ephraim go, uh, let's join forces so we can do something about big bad Assyrians. That makes sense so far. And they say, hey, let's go get Ahaz from down here in Judah. Let's go get him and make him join us against Assyria. And uh, if he doesn't, well, let's just take Ahaz up. There's one less thing to worry about. So, so we read here that they mount up uh, to wage war against Jerusalem. And uh, now Ahaz finds himself in this difficult political, military leadership crisis. But it's also a spiritual crisis. And in the midst of the chaos and the hardship that he faces as a nation, as a king, is this underlying question, Ahaz, where will you put your trust? When the world around you is falling apart, and the things that you thought were sure and certain are no longer sure and certain, where will you put your faith? Where will you put your trust? Is he going to trust God, or is he going to trust some sort of military alliance? Is he going to, is he going to trust the unseen Lord who promises his protection and his life for him, or is he going to, is he going to lay his trust in sort of his own human plans for what he's going to do? Uh, this is a choice we face all the time, folks. When things look really bad in your life, whatever that might be, whatever that might look like, we face the decision, am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust His promises? Am I going to throw my life to the arms of Jesus and say, Lord, I need you in this place. I, there's nothing I can do. I, I don't know what to do. I need you. It's really bad. We all face this choice. I'm going to trust God with my life. Or am I going to try and do the best I can do? You know, am I going to try and drum up a solution for myself? Uh, sometimes that works for a little bit. Uh, many of you will know, as you try to make the best of your own life, there comes a point where that no longer works. The brokenness of your own life uh, takes over all the, all the attempts we've made to try and make it on our own path. So this question is very real for us. Am I going to trust God when things are difficult, when I'm worried, when I'm anxious, when I'm afraid, when the future looks really uncertain? Am I going to trust God or am I going to just chunk it ahead of that side man? This is Ahaz's decision. It's a leadership decision, but it's a spiritual decision as well. Where will I put my faith? This is a question for all of us this morning. Where will you put your faith? Where will you put your trust? When they, it's easy to say when things are really good. I'm just going to trust God. Everything's good. But when things get difficult, to whom will we turn? Now, Ahaz uh, is a descendant of King David. And that means he's inherited God's promise of, of care for the line of David. Let me read to you what that, what that looks like from Psalm 89. This is what God said to David and David's lineage, his household. This applies to Ahaz. God said this, I made a covenant that's a promise with my chosen one, I've sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all nations. What's that mean? 
God is saying to David, David, out of your lineage, I'm going to make sure there's always a king on the throne. I'm going to make sure that out of you, Israel is established and secure and, and able to fulfill the promise to bring my blessing and my life to the world. So I'm going to do that for you, David. And then he says this, this is still Psalm 89. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, for the descendants of David. My covenant will stand firm for him. If his children forsake my law, so like not everyone's going to be great, but if one of these kings kind of goes sideways, and he doesn't walk according to my rules, I will punish his transgressions with the rod as an enemy of stripes. What's that mean? Well, it means God is good and he's holy. And that means, folks, that our sin, which is really serious, he won't ignore. He'll actually deal with it. He'll deal with it. He says, I'm going to punish the transgression, but then he says this, I will not remove from him my steadfast love. And I think, folks, we stop there sometimes. We hear that God has an issue with our sin. He has an issue with our pride and our greed and our individualism and our lust and our hate. He has an issue with that. And we like to say, well, go deal with it, God, but don't hurt me in the process. The fact is, you and I contribute to the, the, the issues in our world every single day. We all contribute to the wickedness. So God's going to deal with the wickedness by killing the people who are wicked. He has to kill me too, right? And I don't like that. I don't like that decision. God, can you deal with the wickedness in the world but keep me alive? So we stop here at this issue of God's going to deal with the sin of the world. We don't hear the next part. What does God say? I will not remove my steadfast love from being false in my faithfulness. Look, God wants to deal with the sin in your life, but he doesn't stop there. That's like, let's deal with the sin so we can get on loving and be in, in a relationship and walk together where it's good and healthy and, and wholeness and thrive. We can just live in this relationship. This is what we want. Let's get past this part. Can we get to that part? I think we stop there sometime. So God's promise that faithfulness and that love to David's house. But he's also given that warning, right? If things go sideways, I have to to check that. I have to check that. So Ahaz is faced with this dilemma, right? That promise is for him. That should be ringing in the back of his mind as he faces these military leaders that are bearing down on the city. Well, who will Ahaz be, right? What's he going to do? He's going to be faith and trust in God with that promise back with his head with God. God's been here for my fathers in the past. Am I going to lean into that? Or am I going to put my faith and my trust somewhere else? Take a look at verse 2. That's kind of the setting. Take a look at verse 2, chapter 7, verse 2. When the house of David was told, the royal house is King Ahaz, when the house of David was told, Syria's indeed would be free. Right? These two nations have joined up, they're coming for you. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They're gripped with fear. They're gripped with this terrible situation. And it's into this moment that Isaiah comes with God's word of comfort and hope. And what does he say? Look at verse 4. Be careful, be quiet, don't fear, don't grow faint on account of these two angry firebrands, meaning Syria and Ephraim. These guys are sputtering and making a mess of things, uh, like sparklers gone off, and the, you know, just. You know, it's hot and flame. Uh, but don't worry about that. They're plotting against you. But look at verse 7. God says, It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. The fact that Syria and Ephraim want to take you out, Ahaz, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. Put your trust in me. 
It's not going to happen. In fact, in 65 years, E-Frame's not even going to be people anymore. So don't even worry about it. Because uh, Assyria is coming. You have a bigger issue with Assyria. Don't get into the fear of this moment, but put your faith in God. The evil of Assyria and Ephraim, it's not going to happen. It's not going to come to pass. But put your hope in God. So Ahaz has faced with this choice. Do I trust God or do I trust my own kind of devices? We find out in the second case that Ahaz uh, chose not to trust God. Instead, he chose to throw his lawn in the big Assyria. So here's Syria and Ephraim saying, we need to take out Assyria. Let's get Ahaz and Judah to join us so we can all get them together. But Ahaz doesn't want to. Let's just wipe Ahaz out and then we'll go get Assyria. And Ahaz says, Syria looks really strong and powerful. He'll deal with these guys. So Ahaz takes money from the temple and goes and bribes Assyria to wipe out Syria and Ephraim. He tries to do the best he can. He makes this alliance with big bad Assyria. And in doing so, he brings the wrath of Assyria down on his head. Assyria ignores Ahaz's attempt for allegiance. And we discover it's the big bad empire that's going to be the one to come and chop down Judah and the truth and burn the sky. So Ahaz has done all he can with his kind of political devices and his, uh, you know, he's, he's intelligent. Um, but he's totally lost track of who's his real enemy and who's his real ally. In the middle of him striving to make sense of his life and do it on his own, throwing his lot in with this group, he inadvertently brings a worse oppression on himself and on his family and on his nation. Sometimes the easy way out, the answer that looks like it makes sense, actually brings a worse result. And in this case, Ahaz ignores God and tries to do it on his own, and God ends up using Ahaz's foolery against him. He kind of brings this on himself, as it were. Brings a worse impression on him. What's the point of all of that? You think that's great kind of beautiful history? Nick, fantastic. What do we do with all of that? A couple things. First, God is very present in the messy world of politics and public affairs. In a world that sometimes seems very distant from God, that is where you're worshiping on Sunday morning, you feel, feel like it doesn't have much to do with what happens in Ottawa. But it does. The God that we worship here this morning is present and at work in the public affairs of our world. And in the face of danger, both in our lives individually and in our lives as a nation or as a people, God is the only sure hope and foundation for our lives. So even when, when the world is falling apart, both within and without, faith uh, in ourselves or in our strategies as we try to make things work, apart from God, will lead to a, a, an unsteady and a fragmented life. God says, if you're not firm in faith in me, you're not firm at all. That our, firm, our faith in God brings a firmness and a stability and a steadiness to our lives. It becomes like a anchor for you. That when, when the world kind of goes sideways, you lose your job, or you lose your best friend, or someone dies, or you have a miscarriage, or you find that uh, you know the, the people that you fought were, were friends and were, were good uh, turned against you. So kind of personal issues, situations, tragedies that we face. So that in the middle of that brokenness, we can try and put our faith in something else. 
and all of our kind of devices to make ourselves happy or make ourselves whole, we can't find that wholeness or that happiness apart from God. It won't work. God's the only one who can bring a firmness and a steadiness and a wholeness to life. That's the first thing. In the middle of all the mess of the world, both within us and without, God is the source of steadiness. And if you need that today, I would encourage you to, to trust in Him. Say, Lord, I need you. I need you to be the firmness, the steadiness of my life. I need you to make me whole and throw my body into you, not in whatever it's the fire. The other thing that this all points to is that. God's judgment is never the last word. Yes, Ahaz is going to be disciplined and punished for what happens, like we read in Psalm 89. But God's heart goes to move through that discipline, through that punishment, and let that be like a purifying fire that moves towards redemption and hope and life and healing. And the moment of God saying, um, this is really bad, there's consequences to your sin and what's happened in your life. But let's move through that. Let's move past that. Let's move to a place of healing and restoration and hope. So that's God's heart for you. God wants Ahaz to turn back to him. He's, he's inviting here. Ahaz, are you going to be like your dad, who was also kind of a meatball, wasn't very good as a king? Are you be like him? Uh, are you going to put your trust in, in your forefathers like David? We're faithful. What are you going to do? God's saying, you have the opportunity here, in the middle of all this political mess, in the middle of all this spiritual mess that you're in as a nation, that you're in as yourself. You have an opportunity here to trust in me, hold fast to me, and I'll be your firm foundation. Friends, today, where is God asking you to trust him? What are the opportunities in your life to make Christ your firm foundation? Where are the places where you are tempted to try and find a solution on your own apart from God? And I encourage you to bring those places of, of worry, of anxiety, of unsteadiness back to the foot of the cross and back to Jesus who promises uh, to make us whole, to stand with us, uh, to make us firm. Look at verse 10. The Lord invites Ahaz. He says, Ahaz, why don't you request the sign? Like, why don't you Ask me to do something to strengthen your faith. Because clearly you're having trouble believing all this. So he invites Ahaz, requests a sign. But rather than listening to God, look at verse 11, 11 and 12. Rather than listening to God, Ahaz says, Oh, I, I won't ask. God says, Ask a sign. Ahaz says, I won't ask. I'm not supposed to put God to the test. He self-righteously quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 back to God, which is you shall not put the word of God to the test, right? It's the same thing that uh, Jesus quoted back to Satan, and a little bit of temptation. But that's not what this is. Putting God to the test is saying, God, uh, if you do this thing for me, then I will do this. Uh, it's me initiating something, trying to twist God's arm to get my way. That's not what's happening here. God's saying, God's initiating this, not me. Not Ahaz. God's initiating this. God is just inviting Ahaz into a moment where he can increase his faith. And what does God say in response? I think this is hilarious. This is, I find this really funny. Uh, 
And yes, says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And God says, Hear then, O house of David. It doesn't even refer to him directly, it's referring to the whole royal house then. Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you have to weary God too? Like, seriously? That's what he's saying. Really? You're wearying everyone else already. You're going to weary me too? Good grief, Ahaz. I'm trying to, trying to save you here. And here you are self-righteously quoting scripture back to me that you yourself don't even believe in. Really? If you won't request a sign, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign. Fine, Ahaz. If you don't want to give a sign, I'll give you a sign that I'm going to keep my word that even when you and all the people have forsaken me, that even when you are broken and sinful, Ahaz, and you stop caring, I'm going to give you an assurance of my love. That's going to be a sign that points to the promise I will make to bring life. From all this dead sinfulness and all this drab religiosity and this broken stuff, I'm going to bring life. Here's the sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. You'll call his name What's God saying? God's saying, I'm going to bring up a new king. It's going to be far greater than you, Ahaz. It's going to be a new son from David's line, as I promised. And this king is going to be more than just another human king. He's going to be a man love, which means God with us. Here's the sign, Ahaz. I am with you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to see my plan with Israel, my project for all humanity. I'm going, to, I'm going to see it through to the end. I'm going to be with you in the fear and the brokenness and the worry. I'm going to be here to save you from yourself. I'm going to redeem you and restore you. That when you are at your worst, I will see it through. That I will make my dwelling with you and redeem you. Ahaz, here's the sign. Greater than Syria or Ephraim, or greater than the Assyrian Empire, who you bribed, will now be your downfall. Greater than all of that is going to be greater gain. For his name's Emmanuel, and through him I'm going to fulfill all of my covenant promises. I'm going to fulfill my promise to Abraham, that through Israel, I'm going to bless all the nations, and through, through Israel, the knowledge of God is going to go out, people will come to know the true God for themselves. That's going to happen through this one. I'm going to fulfill my promise at Mount Sinai, that Israel's going to show what it means to be faithful to God. This one's going to show you the true God of God's Where Ahaz fails, where David himself never failed. There's a new king who's not going to fail. And I'm going to uphold my promise as God, even better guarded. That's that I'm going to make a way for us to be restored to relationship again. Out of this rebellion and brokenness, I'm going to make a way. God says, I'm going to do it now. You're a man well. Where our political and social systems fail, where our leaders fail, where our greed and our consumerism and our individualism run rapid, folks. Christ, Emmanuel, enters that brokenness and that mess to bring salvation to you, bring life and hope to you. I had Audrey read a little bit from chapter 11. I want you to turn over there. Because this helps flesh out who Emmanuel is. It, it brings, brings all this together for us. What's God going to do? What does it mean to descend this one who's going to Verse 11, uh, chapter, chapter 11, sorry. Look at how he starts. Remember the prophecy of the stump of the shoot. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of 
Jesse, Jesse's David's dad. So this is the royal house, it's like the sucker. There's going to be a new shoot from the stuff of Jesse, and a branch from its roots is going to bear fruit. So Isaiah brings the prophecy of the stuff of the shoot together with the prophecy of the mantle and says, Do you want to know who the shoot is from the broken stump? Do you want to know who's going to be the one to bring life and hope from the, the deadness and the brokenness of our world and of our nation and of every single one of us? Do you know who's going to do that? It's going to be Emmanuel. He's the one that's going to be the righteous shoot. He's the one that's going to bear fruit. He's the one that's going to be a greater David. Look at verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. It's going to be divinely empowered for his mission in the world. Look at verse 3. His delight's going to be in the fear of the Lord. He's the one, in contrast to the sin of Ahaz in our world, Emmanuel's going to find a deep joy in living for God, a deep joy in his relationship with his Father. Does this sound familiar when they from the Gospels? He's going to find a deep joy there. Verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. What, is, what? what does that mean? Emmanuel's going to usher in a new creation, transforming into his love and his power. What's verse 9 say? The earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters come to the sea. Remember back to the earth in the temple? The whole earth will be full of his glory. Emmanuel's going to be the one through whom God's glory and his presence is going to flood the whole world. Look at verse 10. The root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples, and him shall the nations inquire. Emmanuel is going to reign from a new Jerusalem, filled with the Spirit of God, who's going to make justice to the poor and the nations that are going to come to him. This is all going to happen through Emmanuel. And that question, who is this, hangs over the rest of the Old Testament. It's just not hanging. Who's going to fulfill this? This is more than just any kind of human king. This is to someone else entirely. Who is this? And that question, folks, is finally answered. When you meet this teenage girl named Mary, you discover she's pregnant in Matthew's gospel. And her fiance, Joseph, who's lost in his own fear of confusion, a little bit like Ahaz, maybe, a little bit like you and me, there's an angel seated in Joseph, son of David. Right? Joseph, son of the burnt stone. Joseph, my family line that I haven't given up on. Joseph, don't fear. Take Mary as your wife. The one that is conceived within from the Holy Spirit, she's going to have a son. He's going to be named Jesus. He's going to save the people from their sins. And then Matthew wants to make sure you get it. And he says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. You know who he quotes? Passage from Isaiah 7. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel. Friends, in a world that is overwhelmed by fear, a world that is not deserve being saved, God Himself has come to save us. He's entered into the mess and the muddle of our world, and the mess and the muddle of your life and of my life, and He's come to bring wholeness and salvation and God's forgiveness and His grace to every single one who will come to Him. He'll be the one, far better than King Ahaz, to finally redeem Israel and bring God's glory and His life to the nations. He's the one who's going to transform creation. Ahaz, Ahaz forsook uh, the Lord called the true king for an earthly king. 
he, he gave up the one that would have healed him and saved him for, for one who ended up turning his back on him and betraying him. And then you know, Ahaz has his own spiritual blindness. He couldn't even really discern about who was really on his side or not. We're kind of to try to talk to him. Ahaz just kind of brush it off. We know what to do with it. Folks, I think sometimes we're no different. That when we get lost or blind uh, spiritually, we have difficulty discerning what will actually help us and what will actually destroy us. We don't know what to do with that. That's why, friends, it's so encouraging to hear this, that God is going to come to the middle of our brokenness. He's going to bring life. He's going to bring Jesus into that place. Jesus is the one who reminds us that God's faithful to his promises, uh, even when we are really not, and when the world looks really, really bad, that we can trust in him. We can trust in him. Jesus, folks, is the only one that can end our own rebellion, our own sort of King Ahaz-ness that dwells within us. He's the only one that can kind of take that and mend that brokenness. And he stands today to save us and to minister unto us, to bring God's life and healing to us and to our world. So I want to close with this question for us. We kind of looked at all of that. Is there a place in your life where you've been like King Ahaz and you've been trying to run it on your own? Is there a place, a tendency in your own life where you you want to kind of keep that part? Say, God, I don't really want you here. I would like God doing this. Thank you very much. It's, it's, I like this. I know it's bad for me, but I kind of like it. There's some spot in us that looks more like King Ahaz. Or will we choose to surrender to Jesus, the true King, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who shows us what God is really like, the one who has come to die, to atone for our sin, and make you of that, the one who sees the bro- broken and burnt stuff of your life, and wants to spark the new growth within you. Jesus wants to do that for every single one of us. So I invite you to as we turn to prayer, say, Lord, where, where have I, where have I been trying to do this on my own? Where do you need to come back? Come to God. Invite me to come and to save us by his mercy and his grace. Let's pray that together as we close. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for this, this promise that you gave to Israel hundreds of years ago. Lord, this promise to me that said, even when you are so broken and so simple, I'm not going to be that bothered. I am going to send my very self to come, to show you what life can be like when you come back to hope and to 